Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. I want to preach to you a Christmas message this morning. I love preaching about Christmas. Um, it's, it's a fun time of year for me to preach. I enjoy it. And so I like to do a, at least a couple messages during every December about Christmas. And the message today is titled, Between Two Trees, if you're taking notes. Between Two Trees. How many of you are done with your Christmas shopping? Just curious. Where are you at? Awesome. You guys are really go-getters. What'd you get me? No? You're not done yet. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, how many of you guys shop? I'm just curious. I want to take a poll. How many of you guys shop on Amazon only now? You're just Amazon people? All right. Where's my people that still go to the mall? Anybody go to the mall for Christmas? You enjoy the nightmare of the mall? Parking at the mall this time of year is an adventure, isn't it? You ever... You ever tried parking at the mall this time of year and you're like, you become like a stalker? You're like stalking some people in the parking lot when you're driving looking for a spot? You've all been there. I mean, it's, you get, it's creepy. You're, you're right behind the person. Like if they stop walking, you'd probably hit them. I've been that guy a couple times. Someone tries to go around you in the parking lot and you're like, Mm-mm, not today, Satan. Okay, you're not swooping in and taking my spot. You follow them. They, they walk right up to the seventh spot. You're like, ooh, the number of completion. Thank you, Jesus. And then they walk through to the next aisle. And you're like, I rebuke that lying spirit in the name of Jesus. I'm done with Christmas. Bring on Easter. He's risen. Does anybody else feel that way? That's how the mall makes me feel like this time of year. When's Easter? You know what I think would be fun is if we grab some Dillard's bag. We'll do it as a church event. We go to the mall. We'll walk around the parking lot acting like we're looking for our car and just mess with people all day. And they'll be creeping, following us. And then we'll, psych, we'll go to the next aisle. And then we'll do it all over again. Let's do it. No? All right. I'm, pray for me. I don't know. This is how I have fun. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read from the very famous uh, Christmas story in Genesis chapter 2, Okay. Some of you are like, I don't think so. But this is actually one of my favorite uh, verses of Scripture to preach on during Christmas, and we'll explain why. Uh, Starting in verse 8, it says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, two trees. Uh, then we're going to jump down to verse 15 and it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it then the Lord God commanded the man you're free to eat from any tree in the garden but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it you will certainly die then I want to jump to first Peter chapter 2 and read a couple verses we're going to marry these together with Genesis 2 it says in starting in verse 24 he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you are like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I need you to know this morning, some of you may have heard me say this before, but for those of you who are newer, I need you to know this morning that when I get to heaven, I may get kicked out. Okay, I'm going to warn you right now, because when I get to heaven, there's a few people I want to see. I want to see Jesus. You know, everyone, we obviously, if you don't want to see Jesus, I don't think you get it, okay? We want to, I want to see Jesus when I get to heaven. I want to see Rachel when I get to heaven, and you might be asking why, and it's because Jacob worked 14 years to marry this girl. I got to lay eyes on this girl and see what 14 years of free, hard labor uh, costs you. 
And then, you know what else? I want to meet James. You know why? Because I want to ask him, what was it like to have a brother, Jesus? To have him as your brother. Was your mom always saying, why can't you be more like Jesus? Okay, because I don't think that's fair. I'm curious. I have questions. But, but above all these, you know who I want to see? I want to see Adam, and I might punch him in his face because of what he did to you and to me and to all of us because sin came into the world through Adam and Eve, and I can't punch Eve. I was raised better than that, okay? But I might punch Adam and get kicked out of heaven. And I think we need to understand something this morning. Why I'm talking about these, these verses in Genesis chapter 2 is actually Christmas had to happen because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. God created Adam and Eve in the garden and, and everything was perfect. And then not even a full chapter later in Genesis chapter 3, they had already messed it up. Okay, And so because of what they did in Genesis chapter uh, 3, we have to have Christmas. We had to have Christmas because if Eve never sinned and Adam and Eve never sinned, Jesus never would have needed to come. But they did sin, and, and I'm not going to just blame Eve. I'm gonna, um, ex- not going to excuse Adam. He took the fruit, too, uh, from his um, nude wife. And so, isn't it interesting today that we still see men tripping over the image of a naked woman and women still tripping over uh, snakes? But we see these things, and then God prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, he said, woman, your seed is going to destroy the head of the serpent. And right away, as soon as they sinned, he prophesied and said, Jesus is going to come from a woman. That the seed, uh, he wasn't talking specifically about Eve's seed, he was talking about the seed of Mary. And someday, that he's going to stomp on the head of the serpent that just deceived you. And so, immediately after sin, God prophesied about the nativity. 4,000 years later, Jesus came. 4,000 years later. Let's, let's look at why Christmas is all about the tree. I want to start in Genesis 1. I'm going to lay some groundwork for a few minutes here, and then we're going to get into what I feel like God is saying to us. So stick with me. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. So for five days, God created an environment for man just by speaking. Just by speaking. And I need you to know, first thing, before we even get really deep into this Christmas season, that you also create an environment around you by what comes out of your mouth. Because what comes out of your mouth will actually determine what what you see if you're constantly saying, I'm always lonely at Christmas, or I hate spending time with my family at Christmas, there's always so much drama, or I I don't have any friends, or I always get so stressed out around Christmas, guess what? You're going to get what comes out of your mouth. You're going to get it. So we need to start speaking life around us this Christmas. This Christmas, I'm going to have joy. Even when Uncle John has too much eggnog, I'm going to have joy. Even when my wife forces me to watch Hallmark and Lifetime movies where the act is terrible. I'm still going to have joy. Can I get an amen? Um, This next year, God is going to do great things in me and through me. I'm going to begin to speak it out now because I believe that just like God, we can create an environment with our words. And then God does something interesting. He created for five days, he created with his word. And then on the sixth day, it says that he reached down and he got some dirt. And he didn't speak to create the dirt. He took the dirt with his own hands. And then it says he actually breathed into the dirt to bring life to man. He created man out of dirt, and then he breathed into it the very same breath that God used to speak things into existence. He put in you and I, and that's why our words have power over our life, and so we need to speak life over them. So God looks around, and he says, hey, guys, here's what we're going to do. 
And you can't do that or you'll be in a hospital. Don't try it, okay? I'm telling you right now. But God is a trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said, let us create man in our image. And then the God who creates streets out of gold, he reached down and grabbed some dirt. That'll bless you, right? Won't it bless you? You're nothing but a dirt bag. Some of you are waiting for me to say it, so I'll say it. So he creates Adam, and I just picture him creating Adam with a goatee and a mullet. You know why? Because I got the mic, and that's what, that's what happened. But I think it's important that we realize what's important was not what was on the outside, but what was on the inside. That's why you never, you never struggle and worry more about the wrapping paper than what you do about the gift on the inside of the package. That's what's important. That's why you never pick a spouse or friends based on what's on the outside. You always got to see what's on the inside. That's what's important. And, and so God, he created Adam in the image of God. And then, just like God, Adam had a need for a relationship. God created Adam in his image, but before God gave Adam Eve, he first gave him a job. That'll preach, ladies, okay? Um, Before he had a girl, he had a job. So, a J-O-B. So, we see Adam, God says, go and name all the animals, and we see Adam go out and and name all these animals, everything from, I think he started out with like hippopotamus, you know, that's pretty creative, and then he got bored and lazy and just said like dog and bee, and that's not even a, that's not even a word, that's a letter, okay, he's getting lazy, but he created all these things, and I think God looked down and saw Adam probably growling and barking and thought, it is not good for man to be alone, okay, we need to do something about this, and so he reached down and put Adam to sleep, and he performed the first C-section on a human being ever, and he took a rib out of his side, and then he woke up Adam, and he said, Adam, check it out, look around, and Adam opened up his eyes and looked over and saw Eve and said, whoa, man, no, that's cheesy, I'm just playing, I should not have even gone there, that was stupid. Let's cut that from the podcast. But God says, Adam, I have more from you. That's not even the gift. That's just the Christmas Eve, okay? Come with me. I want to show you what I really have for you. And he took him and he showed him this place called Eden that God created for him to have. This was a gift from God. And Adam went with him and he showed him around. Eden was a perfect place. I'm telling you, Disneyland didn't have anything on Eden. Eden was the happiest place on earth. There was no lines. The churros, they were completely free and every single ride was open. Come on, can I get it? Amen. That Eden was the happiest place on earth. Eden in, in Eden in Hebrew means five things. It means moment, spot, presence, open door, and delightful. All those sound good, but you know what I love in there is that it's, it was presence. It means that Eden was a place where they lived in the presence of God. And I love that God did not create man until he first created Eden. He created a place for the man to dwell, an environment for him to dwell in before he created man. He he first created the presence of God in Eden before he created man. Just like anything, God created water before he created fish. God created the sky and space before he created the stars. He created the air before he created birds. And he created Eden before he created man. Because if you take things, these things out of the environment that they were created to dwell in, they will malfunction and die. You take a fish out of water, it's only so long until that fish will die. And if you take man out of the presence of God, they will malfunction and die. That's why I love to worship and get in the presence of God and spend time with Jesus because I'm getting back to the presence of God where I was made to dwell and everything that's brokenness about me out in the world, I could come into the presence of God and find healing. This is where I was made. I was made for worship. I was made for the presence of God. And I could come into his presence and worship him and get back to eat. And that's why there's life and power 
when we worship God. Okay, I'm almost done with the groundwork here. This, let's recap. Adam has Eden. He has eternal life, and he has his naked wife. This is a holly jolly Christmas, okay? This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. We see Adam had everything going for him here, but I got to tell you something that confused me about this story for years. Then God turns to Adam and, and Eve, and he says, don't touch that tree in the middle of the garden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, you can touch any other tree. Don't touch that tree. And that confused me because I'm thinking, God, you mean the tree that, that you put here? The very tree that you created, you put right here. Don't touch that tree. Why would God put this tree here? I don't understand. And you know what I realized? The very fact that you said don't touch that tree, it makes me want to. How many people are rebellious in here? The very fact that you said don't do it, now I want to do it. I didn't even have a desire to do it. But now the sin that's in me wants to do it, like Paul would say. Um, it kind of reminds me of uh, some parents. Maybe you had parents like this that would torture you and put presents under the tree weeks in advance. Anybody have uh, parents that do this? Where are my peekers at? How many people peaked and like ruined your Christmas? You just did it. And you're being honest this morning. That's okay. Come to the altar. We're going to pray for you. I'm just kidding. But I remember when I was a kid, and if I ever peaked, it ruined my Christmas. And, and, and I, Christmas morning, you're just not excited. Something's different. But even after Christmas, I would feel guilty about peaking. And there's two reasons for this. The first one is that I found out that um, I tried to receive something that was rightfully mine, but in the wrong season. And that's what the enemy wants you to do, is he wants you to take claim and lay claim of a relationship that God designed you to have, but you're doing it in the wrong way, in the wrong season. And so now you, you feel guilty, and, there, and there's shame on it, and God hasn't blessed it because you're doing it in the wrong season. And I felt bad for that reason. The second reason I felt bad was because my parents had told me not to, and my love for my parents was actually shown in what I said no to. And so when I said yes to something my parents told me to say no to, I felt the shame from that because my resistance to touch these gifts actually proved my love for them. This is why the tree had to be in the garden. Because true love cannot be exercised until there are options. If there are no options, then there's no free will. There can be no free love. It would mean nothing if I said to my wife, girl, look at me, look me in the eyes. You're the only one for me. But if she was the only girl in the world, that would mean nothing, would it? Of course she is. She's the only girl. She's the only one for you. That makes sense. But my love for her was not just proven by that day when I said yes. It's also proven every day when I say no to every other girl. I'm telling you, they're all, I got to beat them off. I'm just kidding. girl. But... Every time I say no, um, actually, it's because I've already said yes to my wife. And I, and I read this story, and I realize there are times when I just don't understand God. And I think there's something we need to learn from that, because if I always understood God, and he never contradicted me, you know what? I'm not worshiping the God who created me. I'm worshiping a God that I created, because the God who created me, he, he doesn't do that. The God who lets you do everything by your own rules, who, where did you get that? The, guy who, the God who never judges anyone, where did you get that? Or the God who, who, lets you, who likes everyone you like and hates everyone you hate. The God who never wants me to change something I don't want to change. 
or the God who thinks and reasons like I do. Can I ask you, did you get that from Scripture? Because it's not in there. Where did that come from? And many times, we're not worshiping the God who created us. We've created a God that we worship that fits our desires and never contradicts us. And I think it's important to realize we need a God with superior reasoning to us, who understands things I don't understand. Every parent in this place should understand this. Because there are times when my kids do not understand things that I ask them to do or instructions that I give them, but I honestly do not need them to understand. I need them to obey, and then their understanding will catch up. My daughter came to me, she's come to me a few times this year, pray for me, and says, Dad, all the other kids in my class, she's nine, okay? Let me preface this, which if you you have a nine-year-old and you're allowing them to do this, that's your prerogative. But she says, all the other nine-year-olds in my class have a phone. And, and I said, babe, I do not care what the other parents do. It doesn't matter to me. You need to obey because you think I'm trying to take something from you, which is exactly what the serpent did to Eve. And he said, did God really say that? He's trying to limit you. He's trying to restrict you. But I'm not trying to restrict my daughter at all. I'm actually trying to preserve her freedom. And she doesn't understand that right now. But if she understands it, if I just obey until my understanding catches up, then she can get farther in life she doesn't have the capacity to understand right now someday she will understand I used to hate when my parents said that um, that you know what someday you'll understand I don't I want to understand now but I don't always and I do not always understand with God I listen to what he says even if I don't understand and someday I believe my understanding will catch up with my obedience because I made so many foolish decisions when I was younger thinking I knew better and the way that seems right to a man the end thereof is death it says in Proverbs and I thought I knew the way and I thought I knew better and I ended up in a pit in a ditch if I had just listened when I didn't understand and obeyed then my understanding would have caught up but I didn't always do that but I've learned that you know what I just need to trust God I trust the word of God even when I don't understand it I trust the Bible I trust God I I trust every word of the Bible Brent you you, you believe that I even believe in the maps in the back, okay? If you, you go all the way to the back, you see those maps. I believe those. I believe every word written was inspired by God. You know why? Because I've studied it, I've applied it, and I'm not who I used to be. I'm not the same Brent that you would have met 10, 20 years ago because God has convicted me, he's contradicted me, and he's transformed me through the word of God. I believe it. I believe it works when you apply it to your life. I believe there's always supposed to be a gap between who I am and who God has calling me to be. And some of us, we go to church for years with no gap. And I'm going to tell you there's two reasons you might not have a gap. Either your view of God is wrong and you've made a God that you like and that always agrees with you, or your view of you is wrong and you think you got it going on. You're all that in a bag of chips. And guess what? You are not. There is a gap between who God's calling you to be and who you are right now. There should be a gap. There's always a gap. We have a God who contradicts us because what happened in the Garden of Eden, it happened to you. We all have a tree. Pastor Brent, you don't understand. I'm spiritual. I ate manna for breakfast, okay? I speak in more tongues than the UN. I am holy. 
and spiritual, Pastor Brett. You do not understand. Can I tell you this? Every single person in here has a tree. It might not be the same tree I have, but you have a tree. And inside of you, somewhere deep, maybe hidden, is a tree that wants to kill you. And I believe God is constantly dealing with you underneath the surface, convicting you, whatever that tree may be. Maybe for you it's drugs or alcohol. Maybe for you it's unforgiveness. Maybe for you, maybe for you it's sexual sin. Maybe for you there's a tree inside of you called bitterness that God is constantly trying to deal with. But there's a gap between who you are and where you are going because life is lived between two trees. One that brings you life and one that brings you death. And you're always going to wrestle with this for the rest of your life. That there is distance between who God is calling you to be and who you are. And Adam and Eve, they, they fell and they ate of this tree. And it takes us going to God and saying, God, I choose you. I choose righteousness over this thing that has a hold of me. Because if you believe the words you were singing this morning, then the love of God has power over sin. That if I trust him, that I can become more like him. That I'm choosing righteousness rather than sin. And you're attracted to a tree just like Adam and Eve were. So Adam and Eve are in the garden and the serpent showed up. You know what he said? He says, did God really say? He begins to get them to question the word of God. He begins to get them to doubt the goodness of God. Because you got to know, if you ate of that, you won't surely die. And God said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. The enemy said, you won't surely die. You see, the enemy cannot make you sin, but he can make you uh, be tempted towards something that you've already been contemplating. Something you've already been thinking about. He suggests it to you. Uh, I believe Eve, we don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before they fell. We read it in the next chapter, okay? So we're like, wow, that didn't take long. But the Bible contrary to some belief, is not a history book. It's a book to reveal God to us. And there's stories that he wanted you to see. And so sometimes the, the timeline is not always in there. But we see Adam and Eve eat of this tree in Genesis chapter 3. And, and I just picture God saying, don't eat of that tree in the middle of the garden. And, and Eve and Adam walking up to it every day and just sniffing the fruit. You know what I'm talking about. Or walking up and saying, I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. Some of you used to do that to your sibling. You're terrible. You need to repent right now. Because I believe that the enemy could not suggest this to them if they weren't already contemplating it. He gets you to doubt the goodness of God. And I've learned that if he can get you to doubt the goodness of God, he can get you to do anything. Most atheism begins with a doubting of the goodness of God. And if the enemy can get you to doubt that, then you can start, he can get you down a road to start to get you to do anything. Many Christians, I believe, they're able to believe big, and we read this like it happened in one day. They were told, don't eat of this tree, and then they ate of it. But I think they actually probably had a long period of time between that. And I think many Christians are able to believe big, but they're never taught to believe long. Meaning, you might believe in the moment today, I have great faith today, I went to church, but can I ask you, do you still believe God if he doesn't act according to your will and your timing? If God doesn't behave, does your faith fail? If God doesn't act the way you expect him to, or does it hinge on how quickly God changes your situation? Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to not only have big faith, he wants us to have long faith. To say, you know what, even when God doesn't show up in my timing, he's still going to show up 
Because I, I think this is a struggle that we all deal with in the man at Bethesda who was healed after sitting by the pool for 38 years. If he had given up at year 37, he never would have been healed. But I believe he had faith, long faith, that looks at the storm and says, one of us is going to quit first, and it's not going to be me. I'm going to outlast this storm. My faith can make it through this thing. I wish somebody in this place would have a fourth quarter faith that says we might be down, but we're not out yet, and God is not finished yet. I'm looking for some people who say, even though the situation looks bad, my God always comes through in the fourth quarter. Throughout sports history, there's been many people that have been called Mr. Fourth Quarter. We have the greatest of all time. It's not up for debate. Michael Jordan was called Mr. Fourth Quarter, which means when it's time and when it's important, you get the ball into his hands because he is not afraid to make the shot at the last minute to win the game. We need some Christians with fourth quarter faith that say, give me the ball. Give me the last shot. I'm not afraid. I can, I can handle the storm because I know my God will come through in the end. We serve a God who, who came in at the last minute, 400 years of silence before Jesus showed up on the scene. But when it all looked hopeless and God was silent, my God, which they call Emmanuel, showed up, which means God with us and said, I'm not finished yet. It might have looked like I was silent, like I was done, but I'm not finished Yet, he had fourth, he came through in the fourth quarter. Matthew 1.23 says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God came into the game himself. You know what? Just before the buzzer, he took the shot and he robbed hell, death, hell, and the grave. And I'm not afraid of my situation and my circumstance because I believe my God is still coming through when everything looks hopeless. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I want to encourage you. My God, he, he might be lengthening a storm in your life, but there might be something you need to learn, but he's going to come through in his timing. I, I hear a lot about strong faith, but I want long faith. I want faith that says, even when hope is lost, even when God seems silent, even when I'm ready to give up on my marriage or my career, even when I feel dry, even when my face wants to give up on going to church, I'm not going to doubt the goodness of God in the storm. My faith will outlast any storm because if he says he's good, the enemy's going to come to me and I got to be ready because he's going to say, did God really say this? And I'm going to look him in the face and say, my God is with me, even when it looks like he's not. Even when the money runs out, Emmanuel, God with me, hasn't left me. Even when my marriage is going through hard times, my God is still with me. He's still Emmanuel. Even when it feels like everything and everyone in my life has given up on me, Emmanuel will show up in the fourth quarter and say, I'm not finished with you yet. If that doesn't get you excited, then I don't know if you met him, but I'm telling you this morning that there is there is a God who says in the midst of your storm and in the, the lack of your hope I'll show up right now this morning in the middle of what of your situation and your turmoil and your storm if it doesn't work I'll try it again because Emmanuel is with me this morning I want long faith not just strong faith so Eve, she, she takes the apple and she gives it to Adam. And, and I used to think of this and think like, this, this is nasty. This, this apple represents sin. It probably had worms and was nasty. But you know what I think different now? You know why? Because sin looks and tastes good. Pastor Brent, I don't think I can say amen to that. Sin tastes good. If sin didn't taste good, why do you struggle with it? Why do you even need a Savior? It's because sin tastes good in the moment. But it ends in death. So why did Adam and Eve fall for this? This is my last thing I want to speak to you about. I'm going to close here in a minute. The last thing 
is why did they fall for this? Because they allowed another voice to speak into their life other than the word of God. They allowed another voice into their life. You see, the Bible tells us Adam walked daily in the garden with God. That's a picture of intimacy. That's a picture of him saying, every day I want to spend time with you, God. I want to be more like you, God. But now their intimacy was was interrupted by this other voice. You want to have long-lasting faith and do what God has called you to do? You need to increase your intimacy with God and push away other voices that are not leading you to where God is leading you. Your intimacy with God cannot be interrupted if you want faith that sustains. Martin Luther said this, the strength of a person's faith is only as strong as the credibility of the person they put it in. The more you know a person, the more credibility you, be, you have for them or the less credibility you believe they have because you know them. Because intimacy, it teaches you something. And that's the reason that many of you can't bring something to God and leave it there is because you are leaving it with a stranger and you don't know him and you don't have intimacy with him like that where you can trust him with what you leave him with. I believe God wants intimacy where you know his ways. You know how he's going to act before he acts that way. God, he, he talks to Adam in the garden and he says, where are you? You see, their hearts started beating fast and they were hiding from God. And the very God that they used to run to, they now run from. There are many people that aren't here in church this morning because they used to run to God. But now their intimacy has been interrupted by other things and other voices. And now they run from God and they fear getting in his presence. And God is calling out to us this morning and saying, where are you? Their intimacy was broken. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Intimacy produces accuracy. Intimacy produces accuracy. In other words, let me give you an example. If you came to my wife and said, hey, I saw Pastor Brent this week. She'd say, where'd you see him? And, she, he, and, and you said, oh, I saw him. He was, he was eating a salad. She'd say, no, nah, you didn't see Pastor Brent. Nope, that wasn't him. Someone else. They might have looked like him and talked like him, but that wasn't him. You know why? Because when you have intimacy with someone, you can predict their acts because you know their ways. In Psalms, it says that God made his acts known to Israel, but he made his ways known to Moses. Which speaks to a distant relationship with God and an intimacy with God. Where, where you can now know someone's ways, you can predict their acts that's why when God doesn't come with I want, when I want, it's okay because I know his ways and he's going to come in his timing and he's going to come before it's too late and he's going to show up. But the problem is people in this generation, they want intimacy without investment. There is no intimacy with God without investment. There is no microwave relationship with God where you can pop in and pop out and get it heated up, get everything you need in that moment. It takes investment saying, God, I want to know you. How do you get to know someone else in relationship? You spend time with them. And then what happens if you don't spend time with them? You, what do they say? We grew apart because you grow towards who you spend time with. And if you're not spending time with God, you are growing apart with God and you will eventually grow to a place where you no longer desire to be in God's presence. In fact, you run from who you used to run to. You cannot shortcut it. Investment with God is everything. If you want to have intimacy with God, you got to spend time in relationship. Because when intimacy leaves, it's because of a lack of time and investment has happened. 
That's why I remember seasons in my life where I'm just hungry for God's presence. I'm intentional, and I want it with everything I got. And then, and then I, you go through other seasons where you don't make the investment, and you just get so busy, or you get sidetracked or distracted. And next thing you know, you've evolved to a place where you're no longer in intimacy with God because we are always changing. We are always evolving. And that's like I said in a relationship where you can say, I haven't seen him in, for, in years. We grew apart is because we are always changing. And when you get back with, together with that person, you are in relationship with who they used to be. And so you don't have as much in common because you haven't had intimacy and you haven't been spending time together. And if we neglect intimacy with God, we become less like him. Intimacy requires time and investment. That's why the scripture says that you will, if you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It requires an investment. Can I get the worship team to come up and help me? You know how when, you, when you're in a new relationship and you're talking to your bae, you know, and your boo or whatever you want to call, weird name you want to call her, that's what Jess calls Adam, boo. Um, and they're gone, they're out of town, and, and you talk to them on the phone and you're like, I'm going to see you in 37 and a half hours. Ugh, ugh. But you know what I'm talking about, and, and you look forward to that moment of being together. And when you're, in, when you're in intimacy with God, you notice when he moves, when he's not around. And sometimes you call out and say, God, where are you? I don't, I'm not experiencing you like I was in the last season. And sometimes God is saying, it's because I've moved, and I want to pull you to the next level where I am. But if you're not in intimacy, you don't even realize God has moved. You don't even realize that you haven't experienced God like you used to. You don't even know, you don't even long to be where he is. In Adam and Eve, they found themselves hiding from God. They ate of this tree, and they lost access to the tree of eternal life. Then the Bible says that God, he, he set a guard, an angel to guard the tree of life, because if they ate of it, they would live forever in this broken state. And God didn't want that. And so for generations, we have been trying to make our way back to the tree of life, trying to make our way back to eternal life through religion and ceremony. And saying, I, got, I, got to earn, I, just, I can make my way back to God. I can be good enough. And I need you to know this is why Christmas is so important because you can never bridge the gap between who you are and who God desires for you to be. You cannot do that. You've made some mistakes and you have no way to pay the debt that you have towards God. But I need you to know this morning that my God, he sent another tree. That in this tree there is life. That Jesus hung on a tree. That there's no shame or guilt associated with this tree. But he sent it to bridge the gap between you and where your sinful state is to where God is. That you can be in relationship. That Emmanuel came to be with you so that you can be in relationship with God. There's a tree that brings life. How many of you have read this children's book called The Giving Tree? Have you ever read that? Well, I'm going to depress you this morning. I'm just kidding. There's this tree. It's, it's, an, it's an awesome story because it's about this little boy, and he has this tree. And every day he, he plays, and he climbs this tree, and he eats its fruit, and he plays with the branches. And the, the, the story says the boy is happy, and the tree is happy. And then he... The tree stops seeing the boy so often he's grown some and, and now he comes back as like a teenager and, and the tree's like, hey, come and climb and, and be happy. And the teenager says, I, I'm too grown for that now. I, I need money. 
Can you give me money? And the tree says, I don't, I don't have any money, but I can give you my fruit and you can go and you can take it and you can spend and you can sell it and you can get money for that. And so the tree gives the boy all of his fruit and the boy takes it and sells it. And then the years pass by again and the boy comes back and he says, I'm getting married and I need to build a house for my family, my wife, and we're going to have kids. We need this house. And the tree says, I don't have a house, but you can take my branches. And so the boy, he cuts all the branches off the tree and he takes them and, and for a while he's happy. And then the boy comes back years later. And again, every time he comes back, the tree says, climb in my branches and just be happy climb me. Let's, let's hang out. Let's spend time. Let's be in intimacy together. And the boy says, no, I, I can't climb. I'm too old for that now, but, but I need a boat. I need to get far away from here. And the tree says, I don't have a boat, but you can, you can take my trunk. So the boy cuts down the tree and takes it and builds a boat with it. And all that's left is a stump. Years pass by again and, and the boy is now an old man and he comes and he, he sees the the stump and he talks to the tree and the tree says I don't have anything left to give you I've given you everything I have the boy says I don't need any of that I just need a place to sit and rest and the tree says well come and sit on my stump and he gave and I need you to know that story is not about Jesus but that preaches to me that everything that God had he gave you so that you could be in relationship with him and like that boy we've gone and we've tried everything else You've invested all of your time and energy into getting money or having things or just finding happiness in relationships outside of that tree. But I need you to know there's a giving tree that is still giving today. And that's the cross of Calvary. That if you can get to that tree, it has everything you need. And there is rest in that tree. And God gave everything that you could come and be with him. So will you stand up to your feet with me this morning and just say, Jesus, this Christmas, I want to thank you for the tree that gives life. That I can come and find peace and rest this morning that has everything I need to be in relationship with you. Father, we worship you this morning because when we were far from you, while we were while we were sinners, you died for us. You came and, and you brought us a tree, Lord, that brought us back to life. Could I have every head bowed and every eye closed in this place this morning? I believe this morning there's some of you here at this Christmas, you need a touch from the Christ tree. You need a touch from the tree that brought life. Jesus came and died on that tree so that you could now be connected again with God. And maybe you've been struggling and running around to other things and not finding peace in anything, but I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today and saying, it's time to come back to the cross. It's time to come back and just rest and know that God has done it all. You don't have to do anything. If there's any of you here like that, I want nobody looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody. We stick your hand up where I can see it and just say, Jesus, I'm coming to the tree. The tree that gives, gave everything, that there's nothing left for me to do, just come to the tree. I see these hands. Will everybody in this place just pray with me this morning as we all pray together and believe we're coming back to the Christ tree and just say, Jesus, I thank you for giving everything for me. I ask you to forgive me for straying. Forgive me for hiding. Lord, I come to you this morning and I lay my sin and weakness at your feet. Would you make me new? Would you forgive me of my sins? Lord, I thank you that you've restored relationship with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we clap our hands for those this morning that, that have just said, Jesus, all I need is you. And I want to encourage you. 
If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, I want, I want to meet you at the altar before you leave this morning, but also I want to encourage you to go home and work on your intimacy with God. Spend time with Him because the more time you spend with Him, the more you're going to look like Him. You're going to be finishing each other's sentences before you know it, and God is going to change you from the inside out. Come on, let's worship Him for a minute with me. Would you just say He came, that He found a worthy cause in you. When everyone else passed you by, Jesus said, I'll give you everything.